And I mean, whenever we think about worship, we see through what we've read how much we have to worship God for. All these amazing blessings that we have as believers, as, as his children, through what Christ has done for us. But for, for us this morning, I'm going to specifically turn us to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. Is, is where we're going to be taking our reading this morning. Before that, I was speaking to John during the week, and he said I could, I could do a pitch for your prayers. So I, uh, I'm, I was originally a farmer. I was a farmer for most of my life, but a couple of years ago I felt God leading me out uh, to study at Bible College. So I'm studying at the RSI, Irish Bible Institute in Dublin. So it's, uh, it's great. I'm enjoying that, and I'm working part-time as well. But just... For your prayers along that journey as well as I suppose I felt God calling me out to do that as the next step, but just where God would be leading me thereafter is the next is the next big decision, you know. So it's it's slightly daunting, but I would appreciate your prayers in that as well, please. But our our reading this morning is in Romans chapter twelve, verses one and two. Let's read God's word. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. I wonder what what springs up in your mind this morning whenever I use that word worship. What is worship? I want to think this morning about what true worship looks like. Maybe for you this morning, it's what we've just been doing whenever we've been singing praises. We often describe that as worship. Or maybe it's even just the fact that we're gathered here this morning. We talk about worship services. But I want to explain to us and and maybe more just remind ourselves because there mightn't be anything new that you're hearing this morning. But as believers, just remind ourselves about what true worship is. That that it's not a particular thing that you do at a particular time in a particular place. But it involves our whole selves, our whole lives. And I think Romans 12, 1 and 2 is one of the best definitions of worship that we'll see in the New Testament. As I say, this is not something revelatory in a sense, but it, it's as believers we need to be reminded of these things. And before we before we dive into the verses, I'd like to first of all set the context for these verses, which is always very important, especially whenever I'm just doing a one-off sermon and it's not part of a series. The book of Romans is a letter. It's a letter that Paul wrote to the believers who lived in in Rome in first century AD. So that was a little church that Paul was writing these letters to. And Paul had many reasons for writing to these people. In the same way you and I write emails and with reasons for writing letters and emails. That was the same with Paul. And one of the main reasons was that there was divisions beginning to arise within that church particularly between the Gentile population and the Jewish population. And I suppose divisions in this country, we know all about that. But, but what Paul was wanting to do was, was to heal those divisions, 
to remind the believers in Rome that they are now one multi-ethnic group under the love of Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and chapter 12 specifically comes after the first 11 chapters, of course. That goes without saying. And chapter 12 begins with an, an, an important word. It begins with this word, therefore. And whenever I was at Bible college, uh, the, one of the teachers said to me, you know, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you've probably heard this before, you must ask what it's there for. There's a reason. So that's always a good thing because there's plenty of therefores up here in the Bible. And, and, and it, what, what's happening here is in the previous 11 verses or 11 chapters in Rome, Paul, much like we've read this morning, is telling the believers about all Christ has done for them in Jesus, both Jew and Gentile, how he has reconciled both groups together and brought them in, into this one multi-ethnic group, what God has done for them in the first 11 chapters and then this word, therefore, is this is how you must live in light of what God has done for you. So the, the start of the book tells you about what God has done. And this is now how you ought to live in light of what God has done for you. So I want to think about this idea of what is true worship under three headings. First of all, it begins with the importance of a renewed mind. And then, second of all, we'll, we'll move on to the next natural step, emphasizing that effect that it involves our bodies, it involves action. And then thirdly, just re- reminding us of the source and the power for all that change. It's the spirit. It's the spirit. Because whenever we talk about emphasizing things that we must do, there's a danger that we will slip into self-reliance and we, we must guard against that. So first of all, A renewed mind leads to true worship. A renewed mind. It begins with setting something down and picking things up. It says in verse 2, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I heard a story. A story was told to me about a few years ago, and I thought it was a great picture of, of what this is about. It was the story of a dad who was left at home to look after his kids. His wife had obviously went out, and he had left the room to go away to another room and do stuff, and he came back into the kitchen, and his two-year-old son, you know, to his horror, had managed to get a hold of the bread knife, and he was standing about five metres away over at the far side of the room, and of course, he was in shock and horror. He was like, what, what am I going to do here? Like, Because he was probably thinking, if I rush over to try and grab the knife, you know, the child might run away down the hall and think this was a game. So what he, thankfully at that time he looked down on the floor and he seen the, the, this young boy's teddy, like his beloved teddy. So he, he thought, great. I'm, I'm, he grabbed the teddy and he showed it over to his, his young boy, Luke, we'll call him Luke, and, and he showed him the teddy. And at that moment the young boy just dropped the bread knife and, ra- and ran over and embraced the teddy. And I think that's an important picture of what we must do as believers whenever we talk about do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what we need to do. You know, it's not enough to just set things down. We must look and see the goodness of what God is offering us, the fullness of life that God is offering, and run towards that. And I think that is an important principle whenever we think about even telling people about our faith. You know, quite or maybe in the past, 
The church has been very good at telling people what not to do and thinking that we can just abandon old habits and they will be great. But no, we must, yes, abandon the old things, but also show them the greater thing, the greater way. And that's part of our responsibility as believers. So what sort of things are the pattern of this world? What sort of things are the pattern of this world? I mean, there are many examples that we can go to. I suppose there's been a lot of changes from 2,000 years ago whenever Paul was, was writing this letter to the believers in Rome. But, but one thing that hasn't changed and that was actually very important in that culture, it was all about status and recognition. You know, being recognized for what you do, whether it's achievements in work, in workplace or, or whatever it is, I think it's fair to say we all seek recognition. We all seek recognition for what we do. Even the rise of, of celebrity culture and that whole captivation around that. Um, we think about social media and how that is geared quite often to, to getting recognition for the posts that you put up. And, and that taps into a thing that's within all of us about seeking recognition. And, and that is one of the patterns of this world. But of course as, as we turn to God's word and, and whenever Jesus arrived in the scene... And he, he started to relay the ideas of his kingdom, the kingdom come. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said these, these startling words to the hearers. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And then a verse later, he said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This was, this was stark stuff. This didn't make sense to a whole lot of the hearers of that time. But the truth is, God values humility. God values humility. We see that in the life of Christ. He came, the very highest of all, came and, and lowered himself to be a servant. He washed the disciples' feet. Many examples we have of humility. And of course, we are meant to follow him. I think a good phrase that I heard about humility, quite often we can think about humility as this downtrodden idea of, you know, I'm nothing type. But that's not the right way to look at it. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking rightly of yourself. It's thinking rightly of yourself. You know, God's given you gifts and talents and and you're to use them in confidence, but you're to not get, get carried away as well. I think that's where a lack of humility springs out of. Another example of, of what a pattern of this world is, is maybe, <clears throat> and I think it's prevalent again, maybe more in Western society, is materialism. You know, we're, we're into more stuff, getting more stuff. There was a, a pastor in America, a guy, Matt Chandler, and he, he described it as, you know, the world is constantly telling us that what we need is more of what we already have. Whether it's the new phone, the new iPhone, or new clothes, whenever the clothes you have are fine, a new car, you know, that's that's. But we don't see the futility. But it's it's advertising, and all is geared to selling you more. And I know what you're actually looking for is basically what you already have over again. So that just for us, that's just highlighting some of the practical things of this is the pattern of this world. But here's what God's saying. Here's the pattern of the kingdom. You know, studies are showing, I was reading online, you know, that it, it's not working. It's not working taking people from disadvantaged backgrounds and maybe even 
them getting more material possessions and it's not bringing them happiness and, and you, you'll obviously agree with that and for me those studies are just catching up with what the Bible already tells us you know Paul speaking in Acts 20, 35 he's speaking about Jesus' words here he said that it's more blessed to give than receive in Ephesians 4, 28 again Paul reminds us that that whenever we work or we achieve or we uh, we work not only for our own needs, but we must do something useful with our hands that we may have something to share with those in need. And, you know, God blesses us through that. He, he doesn't he doesn't leave us shortchanged in, in that in how he uh, dictates to us how we should live our lives. The first step is recognizing the futility of the world system. That promises you much delivers little. And looking to God, the fullness of life, as you journey into these things, into these ways that God has called us to live, then we start to discover the fullness of life that's that's within them. And that takes us on to my second point, which is true worship involves our whole self. True worship involves our whole self. And we've touched upon this a little earlier, but... I suppose, again, it's a natural progression. But I felt it was important to emphasize that that faith and believing works itself out in obedience. It's not enough to just know it up here and, and say and without doing. You know, the effect of the gospel, the effect of, of trusting Christ and the Holy Spirit coming to dwell within us, that, yes, it changes our mind and helps to change our mind, but it works itself out in action. Verse 1 says, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And and this word sacrifice most definitely would have resonated with the hearers of first century Rome. You know, there was sacrifices happening all over the place, not just the Jews, which obviously you maybe be aware of their sacrificial system from the Old Testament, but indeed the pagan worship of that time, there was shrines and temples everywhere to certain gods, and it was all about sacrifices. So this word would have made sense to them. But what wouldn't have made sense is the word before it. A living sacrifice. A living, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And this is what it's about. And this is evidence of our relationship. It's an ongoing thing that involves our whole lives. And if we're honest, in in wider Christendom, not just specifically here, but I can be honest with myself. Sadly, this is where quite often we fall down. You know, uh, I think it was Gandhi made a quote a few decades ago, and he said, if it weren't for Christians, I'd be a Christian. You know, <laughs> and sadly, that, that, that's a sad indictment upon Christians. You know, I first of all want to say that 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 can often be an excuse that people use who aren't Christians to not engage with God, to not engage or entertain the idea of Jesus or what he has done at the cross, to just push that thought away because, well, I'm sure Christians, you know, look at, look at them, you know. So I want to say that, that, that that's not going to be a significant excuse and quite often that's all it is. But it does give us food for thought as Christians. You know, so often... You know, it's it's the hypocrisy of, of seemingly that Christians have. That people see them saying one thing 
and not doing it, you know, doing another. And that's a challenge for us this morning. It's a challenge for me because I've been guilty of it too. We must, as God works in our lives, seek to match what we believe and what we say we believe with our actions. You know, again, we come to the practicalities of this. And I suppose the New Testament's full of examples of how we can do that, how we can show practically the change, the outward sign of the inward change that God has affected upon our lives. Again, I was reading for college last year in one of the pastoral care modules, and there's a guy called Trevor Partridge. He, he told this story, and you'll have to forgive me because this story also involves a father and a child. That wasn't by, by design. But another, another story was told of... Um, so it was one night, like a night during the week there where it was lashing rain. The wind was howling. There was lightning. And, and this young boy was lying upstairs in his room and the father was in the room next door. And he was like, he was freaking out. He was scared. He was going, Dad, you know, I'm, I'm scared here. I'm scared. And he's shout, shouting around into the other room. And his dad was like, he was, he was cool. He didn't want to get out of bed. I, I, I knew I can resonate with this myself. He didn't want to get out of bed. He just was like, oh, you'll be fine, son. You'll be fine. Jesus, God loves you and Jesus loves you, you know. And, and, and the boy's response was, yeah, I know that, Dad, but I need love with skin on it. I need love with skin on it. I thought that was a great phrase to capture, you know, what our world needs. You know, yes, it's important we tell people about the love of God. Of course it is, because that truth can break into a person's life. But we must again prove our love through action. You know, the idea of the spirit is this Greek word paracles, which is, is getting alongside a person. And that's what we must do whenever we see the needs of people around us. It's not only enough to tell people about God's love, which is right, but we need to get alongside them, show that we care. Remember that we are the agents of the Holy Spirit. You know, God's put his Holy Spirit in you and he's put his Holy Spirit in me. And that's how he affects change in this world. It's a great challenge to us but it's all, and a responsibility, but it's also a great privilege that we have the opportunity to do that in the power of God, to get alongside people in their needs. We prove love through our actions. I think James... In his letter at the end, towards the end of the Bible, verses 2.26, he says, Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. It does require effort. It does require striving. It might involve you, you know, doing something that you're not overly comfortable with or yeah, might inflict upon your time, but that's how we show love to one another. And guarding against selfishness, you know, we need to make ourselves accountable to others, uh, accountable to other believers that will challenge us in, in this. You know, I often talk about Christianity; it's a team game. Like we need to be involved in in the team of a of a local church, a local fellowship, where we can be encouraged in this. And that moves us on again to my last point, which is to worship is enabled by the Holy Spirit. True worship is enabled by the Holy Spirit. You know, the danger, as I've mentioned, whenever we think about, okay, I have to renew my mind, um, and, and, and now these actions, what am I going to do? Quite often we can slip into that, that old human trait of, of self-effort. 
And, and that's, that self-effort is devoid of the divine power that he's granted us through his Holy Spirit. It's, it's the Spirit that renews our mind. It's the Spirit that empowers that renewed mind to action. And it's the Spirit that helps us overcome the old habits and start to set new good habits, good godly habits. I suppose there was, there's numerous passages we could turn to again to think about the Spirit. It's all over the New Testament. But staying within this letter, I just want to, to turn back to Romans 8. Romans 8 and just read a few verses uh, from uh, verses 5 to 9. I'm sorry, I didn't tell you about this, so it'll not be on, it'll not be on the screen, but just listen along. Romans 8, verses 5 to 9, it says, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what, the, what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God, does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit of God, if the Spirit of God lives in you. I think within those few verses, we see that the idea of our minds again very prevalent. That we're not controlled by the old, that, that old fleshly, but it's now the spirit that's thinking, helping us to think differently. I think the word I want to look at, just out of these passages, or these few verses that, that sprung out to me, was this word controlled. Controlled. You know, human beings have always sought control, whether it's control of themselves or even control of others. If we even think back to the Garden of Eden, Whenever Adam and Eve um, challenged God, essentially, whenever this, they, they said, you know, we don't want to be led by you, God, and follow your ways. We want to control our own lives. We want to put ourselves on the seat of our own lives. And that's, that's that old fleshly nature always wants to, to rise up and rise up again. But the truth is, as we've seen, as believers, we must seed control, give control over to the Holy Spirit. And and this is a lifelong process. It's not like one day you get it and you'll be sweet thereafter. It's a daily thing. It's a daily laying down. There was a, I was asking a, a guy about this re, uh, a few years ago and I, for, for some reason just that sentence really stuck out to me. You know, it's a daily thing of waking up every morning and saying, God, this is, this is your day, whatever your will for this day is. Because so often and so quickly, they will go back and no, this is about me. What, what's my day going to look like? And all the rest of it. Of course, we have to live out our lives functioning as, as normal, but we're led by the Spirit. We're sensitive to his leading. My dad uh, told me, I, I thought it was quite a good, uh, relevant sermon illustration the other day whenever he th- a guy was talking about the energy crisis that we all face within the world. And of course, that's a real stark reality for many of us whenever we think about the problems with energy and resources. And he talked about, he made a parallel to, to as believers with the Spirit, that 
Praise God, there is no energy crisis. There's no energy crisis in a believer's life because, you know, we're, we're, we're relying on a, on a resource that never dries out. God just is, keeps on giving. For those who trust and keep coming to him, he keeps on giving. You know, the problem around energy is based on the fact that it's a finite resource and it can only, there's only so much of it and it's hard to distribute. But as believers, we have access to the infinite resources of God. So I wanted to, to say that as, as a word of encouragement to us this morning. That yes, we do grow weary. At times we grow weary and we, we fall back into that habit of, of relying on ourselves. But it's only back in God's word, back in prayer and spending time with God, can we then be refreshed again to keep on living for him. So as a close, true worship is an ongoing process. It's not one particular action at a particular place, a particular time, although it does involve all the things that we've been doing this morning. But it's, it's, it's a renewed mind that re- leads to renewed actions, all of which are empowered and sustained by the Spirit of God, who indwells the lives of all his children. And the challenge for us this morning, the biggest challenge for us, is whether we're going to trust God enough to give it over to him. Are we going to trust God enough to give it over to him? Let's just pray. Lord and Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that whenever it is open, Lord, and and read and and goes out, Lord, it doesn't return to you void. Lord, we thank you because it's, it's a gift, Lord. Lord, it shows us the way to fullness of life and true life, Lord. Not the, the futile ways of the world, Lord, that promise us so much, but ultimately leave us empty or, or not. Doesn't, there's not true satisfaction, but only true satisfaction is found in you, Lord. So, Lord, we thank you for your word to us this morning. Lord, bless it to our hearts. Lord, may again as we seek to serve you, Lord, may we be reliant upon your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.